Hello, it's Friday the 24th of March and welcome to the Better Business Show Friday 5 with your host Tom Idle. And I am flying solo this week. Vix is otherwise engaged, so I'm on my lonesome. Thank you, though, for all your great feedback on Monday's show we did with uh, Buddha Boxers. Uh, the underwear business making underwear uh, from Bamboo. Uh, fascinating chap, uh, Jason Spitkowski, uh, and it was great to find out all about his venture and, and where it all started. If you missed it from Monday, go check it out. All the uh, all the details and the episode itself are on the website, betterbusiness.show, um, plus you'll find all the other episodes we've done on there too. Um, but today I'm delighted to be here to give you a rundown of the very best stories in sustainable business from the last seven days. So this week we're covering off how paint has saved the shipping sector $3 billion in fuel savings. We're looking at why big oil has joined the race to build sea-based wind farms. We're looking at which country tops the latest world happiness ranking. We're also looking at how and why the number of rural people living in India without access to clean water is the same as the UK's population, quite scary. And lastly, the fact that global emissions from the energy sector have hardly risen in the last three years, so ending with some uh, good news. Uh, So let's do it. So number five this week, a range of biocide-free marine coatings has enabled shipping vessels to achieve fuel savings totaling $3 billion since the technology was first introduced 21 years ago. So more than 5,500 ships have been coated with Axonobel's Intersleek range, which has helped ship owners save 10 million tonnes of fuel and 32 million tonnes of CO2. And this equates to $3 billion uh, based on fuel costs at $300 per tonne. And accountable for about 3 to 4% of global emissions, the shipping industry has been criticised over its slow progress to basically agree on a binding climate deal after it was left out of negotiations during the Paris Agreement talks. But since then, the industry's overseeing body, the International Maritime Organisation, has approved a roadmap through to 2023 on the global adoption of an emissions reduction strategy. Critics are still concerned about the delay to the plan, which is scheduled to come into force in 2018. But Axon Abel is proving that individual shipping firms aren't having to do nothing in their effort to reduce emissions. And these latest figures from Axo are based on the savings achieved by using Intersleek uh, in comparison to each vessel, vessel's previous whole coating system. Several versions of the Intersleek coating exist, including the Intersleek 1000 range that offers fuel and carbon savings of up to 6%, which is amazing, really, for just painting the hull of a ship. Uh, Intersleek 1000 was launched amid... Uh, amid criticism that Axon Abel was using tin as a catalyst, which the firm says has been absent from its products since 2002. Uh, the use of tin has been described as the toxic time bomb of the seas. Um, anyway, this was a story picked up in lots of places, not least ED.net, which um, reminds me to give a big shout out to the editor of ED, uh, Luke Nichols, who picked up the award for Best New Business Editor at this week's PPA Awards. Uh, so well done, Luke. And number four this week, really interesting piece by Jessica Shankleman for Bloomberg, and that is that Shell, Statoil and Eni are moving into multi-billion dollar offshore wind farms in the North Sea. Uh, They're starting to score victories against leading power supplies, including Dong and Vattenfall, so traditional kind of renewable energy companies in competitive auctions for power purchase agreements, which have developed a speciality for uh, anchoring massive turbines in the seabed. The big oil companies have many reasons to move into this industry, says Jessica. They've spent decades building oil projects offshore, and that business is now winding down in some areas where other 
uh, older fields have drained, returns from wind farms are fairly predictable in this part um, and underpinned by government-regulated electricity prices. And fossil fuel execs want to get a piece of the clean energy business as forecasts emerge that renewables will eat into their market at some point. Um, even as oil production declined in the North Sea over the last 15 years, economic activity has been buoyed by offshore windmills, uh, the notorious winds that menace generations of roughnecks working on oil platforms have become a boon for a new era of workers asked to install and maintain turbines anchored deep into the seabed. About $99 billion is going to be invested in North Sea wind projects uh, between, uh, well, between 2000 and 2017, according to Bloomberg New Energy Finance. A decade ago, the industry had projects only a fraction of that size. Now, while crude steel supplies almost a third of the world's energy, oil execs are starting to adjust to demands for cleaner fuels. And even so, emerging fossil fuel alternatives, including wind and solar power, are starting to limit growth in oil demand. Shell, whose CEO, Ben Van Burden, we mentioned on the show last week, of course, he said that oil demand may peak in the second half of the next decade. Um, And they've set up a business unit to identify the clean technologies where it could be most profitable. And wind farms are especially interesting to Shell because they can power electrolysis reactions that make hydrogen, which the company says may be a major fuel for cars in the coming decades. Uh, So very much watch this space. And number three this week, uh, with its narrow economic focus, GDP has long been considered a poor measure of human welfare and progress. Several alternatives have been developed over the last few years to more accurately measure the well-being of a population, including gross national happiness, which uses the collective happiness of a nation as its main development indicator. In its fifth year, the World Happiness Report uses this metric to rank 155 countries with the ultimate goal of helping governments, organisations and civil society with policy-making decisions, jumping three spots from last year and displacing Denmark, Norway took over as the happiest country this time around, uh, filling out the rest of the top 10 in order are Denmark, Iceland, Switzerland, Finland, the Hol- um, Holland, Canada, New Zealand, Australia and Sweden. The US came in at number 14, the UK was number 19. Norway's consistent high ranking can, to some extent, be contributed to its approach to its oil industry by choosing to produce oil slowly and invest in the proceeds for the future. Norway has managed to insulate itself from the boom and bust cycle of many other resource-rich economies. And for such an approach to be successful, a high level of mutual trust, shared purpose, generosity and good governance are needed. And that's exactly what they're doing. Um, Now, what about the US? Declining support and increased corruption attributed to the US's uh, fall in the rankings, while unemployment and fraying social safety nets are identified as the sources of dropping happiness between the period between 1990 and 2005 in China. Uh, The recent data has shown slight improvements in both areas since. In Africa, on the other hand, it tells a much much more diverse story, though happiness is less evident on the continent as a whole than in other regions of the world. At number two this week, rural poor without clean water. It was obviously World Water Day on Tuesday this week, so there was a whole host of new reports and studies put out there. But the one that really caught my eye was the Water Aid report, which claims that India is home to the highest number of rural people without access to clean water. More than 63 million rural Indians, the equivalent of the population of Britain, do not have clean water 
to drink, to cook, to wash with, largely due to their being in such remote locations. There's weak infrastructure, there's poor planning. Uh, China ranks second in this ranking with almost 44 million rural people without clean water. Um, Nigeria and Ethiopia were in third place, each with more than 40 million rural people without safe water. And um, around 663 million people around the world are without clean water, with almost 80% of them living in rural areas. Many are in countries that are already highly vulnerable to extreme weather, such as cyclones and floods and droughts and things. And obviously the rising climate-linked extreme weather events is likely not only to worsen the plight, but also leave millions more uh, water insecure, says the uh, Water Aid study. Um, Diseases such as cholera, um, trachoma, malaria expected to become more common, malnutrition more prevalent. Rural farming communities will struggle to grow food and feed livestock. Time for big companies to act on this, really. I mean, these are the people at the absolute root of their supply chains, and without them, they are frankly doomed. Uh, Prime Minister Modi over in India has prioritised sanitation uh, since coming to power in 2014. Uh, They launched a Clean India campaign which aims to provide toilets for all and end open defecation in the country by by 2019. It's not long away now, Uh, but it's a huge task and it will demand private sector cash to really make the change, no doubt about that. And at number one this week, uh, we'll end with some positive news, shall we? CO2 emissions have stayed the same for the third year in a row despite the global economy growing. Uh, That's right, yeah. The new International Energy Agency report says that the halt in emissions from the energy sector is down to the growth in renewables. Global emissions from the energy sector were uh, 32.1 billion tonnes in 2016, the same as the previous two years, while the economy actually grew by 3.1%. The biggest drop was seen in the US, where carbon emissions uh, fell 3%, while the economy grew 1.6%. Uh, and that's really down to shale gas uh, and more renewables replacing coal. US emissions are actually at their lowest uh, since 1992, while the economy has grown 80% uh, 80% since that time. Uh, carbon dioxide output also declined in China by 1% uh, and was stable in Europe, offsetting increases in most of the world, the IEA said. In China, coal demand uh, declined as renewables, nuclear and natural gas increased in the power sector. There was also a switch from coal to gas in industry and buildings driven by government policies to tackle air pollution. Emissions in the EU were largely stable as gas demand grew 8% and coal fell by 10%. The UK saw a significant coal to gas switch in the power sector in the face of cheaper gas and a carbon price uh, floor which makes polluting coal a more expensive source of energy. The pause in emissions growth was welcomed by the IEA, of course, but it it warned that it was not enough to meet globally agreed targets to limit temperature rises uh, to below the two-degree level. Uh, So still more to do, but, you know, some positive news. Anyway, so that's it for another week. I'm off for a weekend of fun and uh, frolics with old friends. Uh, I hope you'll join me again on Monday for another edition of our main show, so look out for that. Uh, But until then, uh, wherever you are, have a good one, won't you? Speak soon.